Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday morning service. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. Praise God. You got to see my prettier half. Praise the Lord. I'm going to apologize right now to the to the film team because I just I, I asked Apostle and he's released me, and so um, I'm going to move about the room. I'm not going to be stuck on the stage, just because I feel like what God wants to do is more tangible. I don't feel like it's about you watching a guy up here as much as us focusing on Jesus. And that as we focus on Jesus, he begins to speak to our hearts. And I don't know that I'm going to get a word for every single one of you unless I get a corporate word. But what I will say is that any word I release tonight is yours if you want it. I don't carry prophetic words. I carry an atmosphere. I carry a prophetic culture. And so we tapped into that because the prerequisite for for the prophetic is actually worship. In Revelations it says, worship him for the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Which means that every time we prophesy, every time we're hearing from God, every time we're releasing a word, what we're doing is we're testifying that Jesus is still alive, his blood is still alive, and he's still speaking. And so I'm going to greet you real quick, and I feel the spirit, and I'm going to go, okay? So bless you. Greetings from Philadelphia. We love you guys. I didn't come out here to preach. I came out here to vacation and to see family. An invitation was extended, and I sought the Lord, and I sought my covering, my apostle, and he sends his greetings as well. And that's Jamie and Virgie Centeno back in Philadelphia. That's the house where I'm submitted, and that's the house where I was born and raised in the spirit. And I have the awesome and honorable uh, privilege of being able to have a house over here on the West Coast where I can come and there's family, and I'm also submitted. And so I want to just honor Apostle and your pastor, Omar Lopez, as well as Pastor Letty, his wife. Because of their heart, there's a bridge from the East Coast to the West Coast. A man cannot preach what he does not live. So for him to preach about bridge building only means that he's already done it. That was my greeting. God bless you guys. There's a gentleman back here. You were up here praying earlier. You, sir. Is this your wife? Praise the Lord. Could you stand? As I saw you, I saw gatekeepers. I saw that the Lord was giving you keys. He said, he who possesses the gate possesses what goes in and out of it. I believe that there's realms of glory that have been preserved for you, and you've been asking God, where's the deeper dimension of your presence? And God says, I've shown you the window. I've shown you the window, but now I give you the keys to the door. Your prophetic intercession is going to go to another level. 
And I really believe that deep down inside, there's a cry of the generations that lives inside of you. There are people who have gone before you that have abandoned their inheritance. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm reassigning desolate inheritances that have been forsaken by generations that have gone before you because they did not seek me. What is your address? What is your address? What's the number on your address? 8635. Yes, I just asked the Lord to commission angels to protect your inheritance at 8635. What's your address? Somerset Boulevard, Paramount, California. God bless you guys. You're, you're a gift to this house. You're a gift to this house. Where's the worship team? Worship team, if you were here, stand up, please. If you were on the worship team, if you were singing. Yep, if you were, if you were playing, stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. That's my man right there. He looks like Jesus. <laughs> Is it right if we have a little bit of fun? I'm, I'm listening. If you're religious, you're going to have a problem with me tonight. But, but it's okay because I got permission. This is what I heard from the Lord. I heard that you carry the shout of Jericho. That inside of you, when you worship, you have the ability to, to disrupt corrupt demonic systems that have been implanted and entrenched. These are spiritual guidelines that the enemy has set in place to keep a neighborhood impoverished. He set them in place in order for there to continue to be violence, division. And I heard the Lord say that when you worship, you bring down walls. But the worship needs to get outside of the church. Because what he's built and what he's perfecting in the church, he's meant to release. So that way you can be a disturbance to the enemy. I heard the Lord say, don't you grow weary in doing good. Because in your doing good, the enemy grows weary. So I just want to bless each and every one of you. And even if you're not on worship tonight, but you worship in this house, I want to bless you because there's an anointing on your lives. And I want to say this. This platform is not the biggest platform you're going to stand on. Hear the word of the Lord. I believe there will be CDs that will come out of this house. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. Y'all don't even listen to CDs no more. There will be worship albums coming out of this house. And it's because the purity of the heart is the purity of the sound. God loves those who worship in spirit and truth. And, and I really believe that there's something that you carry that's unique and specific. It's, it's, a, it's the DNA of the Father, but it has this, this twist. I can't put my finger on it, but I know that it's God. And I know that what he wants to do with you is to release a sound to, to the generations. I really do believe that. I believe that when you sing, there's going to be songs of deliverance. Yeah. Father, we just thank you. Father, we ask that you bless them. Yeah, I hear it now. Joel 3, Joel 3. He's releasing a new wine from the mountaintop. Yes, a fresh anointing for a fresh season, God. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you for the new thing that you're doing, that you're not limited to a space and a time, but that you can begin to move in any moment and that they, as they sing, will release the key and the note, but the key that unlocks the door into a deeper realm for people can encounter a true living God. Hallelujah, you can be seated. Um, Wendy and Rob, stand up. Rob, coffee Rob. Wendy, stand up. 
you're really important to this church, and this is why. I feel an entrepreneurial mantle on your lives. And I know you have your businesses, but I want you to understand something. God is about to release strategy that's going to separate you from your competition. Okay? So for you, you're probably thinking Starbucks is your competition. In the kingdom of God, there is no competition. And just as David was out about his father's business taking care of the sheep, he wasn't even in the house when a prophet showed up. God says, the anointing will follow you wherever you are. You don't have to be worried about striving. God says, you keep me first. Seek the kingdom and the rest will be added. What's being added is not things. What's being added is a grace to achieve the miraculous. Many people misinterpret that scripture. It's like, I seek God and then I get stuff. God says, no, you seek me, you become like me, and therefore there's wisdom and there's the ability to implement what you're receiving as far as revelation. So I do believe that you are going to, your businesses are going to blow up. And if there's anyone else in here, I want you to stand up. If you own a business or you're thinking about starting a business, don't think about it. Just stand up. Just stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. There's more of you. I feel like there's a couple more of you. Yeah, see, God is so good because this word is not just for them. It's also for you. I, I literally saw, I saw a mantle falling and I said, Lord, what is this mantle? He goes, this is the mantle of the business mountain. As I release the grace, what you guys do and how you steward your finances and bless the house is going to further kingdom work. In other words, there are prophets, there are priests, and then there are kings. And kings are the ones that possess the wealth in order to make change in the kingdom. You're in a house. As you give into this house, you're giving into the prosperity of your own business. But you're being blessed with a business for two reasons. To further the kingdom and to show God's faithfulness on your life. Amen? So I bless all of you and I seal you right now with this word. That you will be carriers of glory onto the business mountain. And that as you go out and you begin to start your businesses or look to expand your businesses. That God will give you the grace and the strategy to take it to another level. God, release wisdom and revelation right now in Jesus' name. Yeah. Revelation, revelation that will result in a manifestation, God, of your heart, your desire to see business that is done with integrity. Yeah. Business that's done with integrity. There's too many people doing crooked business. God says, don't bow to the culture. Do it and honor me. And I'll raise you up. Come on, I got more, one more word. I hear one more word. Um, this is Apostle. Apostle, I, I, I was praying for you, and I saw this image this morning. And the image was that your feet were planted, but the top of your body kind of leaned forward. I'm not going to do it because I'm kind of big up front. I might fall over. But kind of just think about Michael Jackson and Smooth Criminal where he's like leaning like that. See how I got to do that? That's the kickstand. But this is what I heard. 
I heard that you're planted in right now, but your, your sights are set in the future. You're leaning in. And God says, I've sent you faithful sons who are going to hold your arms to ensure that you never touch the ground. And the more you lean, the more sons are going to come. But your job is to stay focused on the next season. God says your head is in a different season. You are not in the same season as your church because if they get there, when you get there, who's going to prepare them for the next season? God says, I let you get in first so you can begin to see what's going on. So you can begin to respond to what's going on. So you can prepare the people for what's to come. And I just see it. I see you headstrong. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Sometimes we talk about headstrong. We talk about, you know, the Greek. We talk about, you know, education. And God focuses on our heart. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is his senses. He's discerning. He's seeing, catching vision. He's hearing the word of the Lord in another season. He's not here. What does that mean for the leaders? What it means for the leaders is that you can't get him preoccupied with where he's standing. If he's leaning and you want to get him, that means he's got to stand back up, which means you're pulling him out of another season. You have to discern what do I need to take to him and what has he given me the authority, the delegated authority to do in his name. Come on. Sons know how to raise their father's arms when they're going to war. Sons know how to take the front lines when their father's getting weary. Yeah. And I just want to say this. If you were here last night and you prayed, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Because every revival starts in prayer. There has not been one revival. Study the history of it. There has not been one revival that has taken place without prayer first. So thank you that you're praying because what you're doing is you're allowing him to lean. He needs to be leaning. If he's not leaning, then that means he's standing, which means he's in the same season as you. And if he's in the same season as you, he can't prepare you for what's to come. If you're having trouble understanding this, just see a leader here and talk to them or come see me afterwards, and I'll explain to you what I mean. These are things that I'm picking up in the spirit as we're here. I want to talk to you a little bit about physics, specifically the word momentum. It said that intense focus over God in the equation of a fraction equals momentum. I'm going to say it again. An intense focus over the spirit of God equates momentum. Which means that if you want momentum, your focus just needs to be God. It's not rocket science. It's not that hard. But what happens is, is you have an awesome conference like we just came out of. And my wife said it. We were able to sneak in. Why? Because I had my own conference in Pasadena that I was supposed to be at. And I checked out of there and came over here. <laughs> and hopefully you will edit that out. I'm joking. We were having uh, lunch with uh, Liz and uh, Isaac, Pastor Isaac. And um, it was just great to be able to come over and uh, hang out with these guys and stuff like that. But I, I was able to catch some of... Uh, the time. And I said, you know, this is beautiful. 
But the reason why I don't get hype in those situations is because the minute someone stepped outside, what was supposed to be momentum became a memory. In other words, we're talking about the conference like it's over. When in reality, whatever happened in the conference is still happening. The Spirit of God is hovering over this house. Some of what we're discerning, and I say we because most of us have picked it up, God has assigned angels around this property. He has commissioned angelic forces to be with you. And we could talk about that, but it's very biblical and I could prove it to you. I'm not going to get into an angel teaching right now. But just trust me, you are under protection. You are under the hand of God. Amen. So I want to talk to you about momentum. And basically, in short, what momentum is, is mass in movement. And here's what the, here's what the scientific definition is. And I wasn't big in science, so I'm going to read it to you, and hopefully we both can understand it. Amen? It says, it's a quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and velocity. So momentum, in short, is mass and motion. I remember being in science class in physics one time, and the teacher had a bowling ball. And it was a 15-pound bowling ball. And then he had the small ping pong. And he says, do you think that I can move the bowling ball with the ping pong? And of course, we all said no. The bowling ball is 15 pounds. The little ping pong ball is actually .006 pounds. And what he did was he got across the room and he shot it out of like a play gun. And when that thing hit the bowling ball, it moved. It's the same reason why we are told that with faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. In other words, as long as there's movement, as long as there's a body in movement, because it says mass, right? If there's just movement but there's no mass, that's not momentum. Momentum is when you got a guy my size running as fast as he can and I hit something and then that moves. I played football and we were always taught, even though the guy's bigger than you, there's ways that you can take him out. I learned that to be true very, very quickly and got really, really excited. From that moment, I decided I just wanted to play defense. What I'm saying to you is, is that the kingdom of God is progressive and emotion is always forward. Even in your failing, if you move forward, you're still going to end up further than what you did if you were to stay still. If I'm running to Omar because he's paying so beautifully and it feels like heaven right now, and I trip on one of these cords, am I going to trip and fall right here? I'm trying to tell you something. You don't have to have it all figured out to know where you're going. It's his responsibility to show you. It's your responsibility to be obedient. It's his responsibility to get you there. Amen? So let's talk about momentum. But since you already know what momentum is, I don't want to focus too much on what 
momentum is as much as I want to talk to you about five things that are deadly assassins to momentum. And I'm just going to give you five. Why? Because we can't be here all night. Am I seeing that correctly? Is it already 845? Okay. Out of here by what time? Don't tell me that. I'm a prophet. Here we go. The first assassin to momentum is fear. In Judges 9.10, I want to read to you a story. Gideon is on his way chasing the Midianites. He's slaying them. He's killing them. He's coming after them. Yeah, little old Gideon, the one who was uh, uh, threshing uh, uh, wheat in a wine press. Do you know that that's a picture of communion? Some of you will get that on the way home. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You crush grapes in a wine press to make wine. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. One of the reasons why is because they didn't want them to get plundered. They didn't want to get plundered. So they decided to use an unorthodox, an unorthodox way to still produce. And so there he was, and the Lord spoke to him. Well, here's the fulfillment, because right, he considered himself the weakest. And so now he's on a run. And the Bible says that he has 70 sons, say bridges. I told you the conference isn't over. <laughs> but he had one son with him specifically, and this is what it says. It says, now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Kakor. These are two kings that opposed Gideon. And it says, and their armies were with them, about 15,000. All who were left of all the armies of the people of the east for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. That's how many people he beat, 120,000. It says, then Gideon went up by the road of those, of, of those who dwell in the tents on the east of Noba and Jobega. And he attacked the army while they fell in a camp, uh, while the camp felt secure. It says, when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them. And he took two kings, he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. It says, then Gideon, the son of Joash, say two generations, returned from battle, from the essence of hers. And it says, and he called a young man of the young men, it says, he called a young man of the, of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 70 men. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Zebra and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are these the hands of Zebra and Zalmunna now in your hands, that we, should give, uh, that we should give bread to weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. That really sucketh. <laughs> then he tore down the tower of Panu and killed the men in the city. And he said, Zeba and Zalmunna, what kind of men are these who you killed at Tabor? So they answered, are you, as you are, so are they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, they were my brothers and the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you let them live, I, will not kill, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid. 
because he still was a youth. So Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. Now there's a lot there. I can't get into it all right now, but here's what I want to say. He chased down these kings. He had some inside information. But when he approached them, he decided that he wasn't going to kill them. So he looked to the one son that was with them, and he told his son to kill them. Basically, he was calling on on another generation. Basically, what he was doing is this was a defining moment for Jether, his son. Gideon was preparing him for what Gideon had been all about all his life. Can you imagine being Jether and sitting at home and your father's coming in battle after battle after battle and telling you about how good God is and how he delivered him every single time the enemies fell by the sword? 120,000 men in this case. First-hand stories of the faithfulness and goodness of God. Can you imagine him coming home and being all bruised up and sweaty and saying, come here, son, let me tell you another story of victory. Can you imagine the impeccable track record that he got to share with his son? And in a moment's time, the same son that he shared those stories with, out of 70 sons, only one was with him. And instead of choosing to be faithful... And, for, and instead of choosing to believe God for the same victories that his father had gotten, he chose to be fearful. And he never drew his sword. What you see is that there was a demand on another generation to take the baton. And he decided, I'm not going to take it. Full f- Fear ruled in the fool's heart. And here's what it says later on. And I'm going down to uh, chapter, uh, same chapter. I'm going to verse 30. It says, Gideon had 70 sons who were of his offspring. He had many wives. And his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son, whose name he also, he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age. So his son never took up that position. Gideon dies. Look at what happens over in the... Verse 34. Let's go to verse 33. It says, so it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal better their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house house of Jeroboam, Gideon in accordance with the good that he had done for Israel. I want to speak to a younger generation. Your obedience has generational implications. Jether decided not to draw the sword. As a result, when his dad died, he had nothing to fill that place. The very next thing that happens, Gideon passes away, they go right back to idol worship. There's a generation that is out there that is in search of a father to show them why is it that God is so faithful. They want to hear the war stories. 
They want to hear about the victories. They want to hear about the near deaths and how quickly the hand of God comes in and snatches you up. They want to hear that. One of the anointings that's on Pastor Omar is to, is to father an orphan generation. But for some of you who are sons in this house, it's about time that you become fathers as well. He can't parent everybody. Number two, the next assassin is comfort. John 1, The following day, Jesus went up to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bathsheba, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Paramount? And Philip said, come and see. There was a confidence there. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whose there's, there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It's like, oh, now, bro? <laughs> and then he says, Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, mostly assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heavens open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Back in those days, the Romans and the Greek would actually teach under trees. What he was calling Nathaniel out of was an old religious system. He was comfortable. That's where they would go to retreat to get away from the sun. He was under the wrong covering. <laughs> I'm sorry. God is just speaking to me about things and people, and I'm just like, I, I got to keep going here, God. <laughs> so, so it's interesting because he calls him out of a, a covering because he desires to be his covering. He knew eventually he was going to die on a tree. And that that was going to satisfy it all. So he calls him out of his place of comfort. And Nathaniel is sitting there in a very doubting way deciding whether or not I go or not. This is Jesus. Really? Then all of a sudden he gives him a revelation. He had divine insight to where he was prior to seeing Jesus. And all of a sudden he's a believer. How many of you got friends and they're like, oh, we don't believe in God, we don't believe in God, but then something miraculous happens to them and they're like, I want to go to church. So comfort is something that God is calling us out of. We find comfort in earthly things, which is why Jesus decided to curse the tree. And if you read when he cursed the tree, both in Matthew and in Mark, it says he cursed the tree because it was unfruitful. In other words, your place of comfort is unfruitful. Jesus came so that way you could be fruitful. So whenever he sees a tree or a covering that's unfruitful, he curses it. He shuts it down. 
Do you know that that's the only miracle where it seemed like he actually did something bad? You know what I mean by that? Like, he was healing people, he was raising the dead, but he cursed a tree. That was his disgust with the world. That was his disgust with religion. He didn't curse all trees, just that one. In other words, no one's going to be covered by you, religion. And no one's going to rest underneath you, religion. That's what he was saying. Here's the third assassin, and that clock is moving really fast, so we're going to go here. The third assassin is complaining. If you're a complainer, I forgive you, but I don't like complainers. I'm just going to be real with you. If you have a complaining spirit, you need to repent. Let's look at, let's look at Moses. Moses was the chosen man of God to deliver a nation out of slavery and captivity. Moses had the anointing on him. He would meet the, with God face to face. God revealed his glory to him. Would you agree that Moses was the man? You had air conditioning during the day, a fire of heater, of heater by night. You had all the meals you want. And it was fresh every day. But listen to what it says. And I'm going to go quickly through this. I'm in the book of Numbers. And I'm just going to read one phrase. I'm going to go Numbers 1, 1, Numbers 2, 1, Numbers 3, 1, because I'm trying to build a, a case here. And I want you to follow me. Because this is what complaining gets you. Numbers 1, 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Numbers 2, 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Numbers 3.1. Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with them on Mount Sinai. Numbers 4.1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Numbers 5.1. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Numbers 6.1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Numbers 7.1. I'm sorry, number 7.4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Number Numbers 8.1. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Numbers 9-1. The Lord spoke to Moses. What am I saying? The Lord is speaking to the leader. Numbers 9-1. Numbers, <laughs> numbers now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness, even in the hard seasons. Numbers 10-1. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Numbers 11-1. Now when the people complained. For 10 chapters, the Lord is speaking to Moses and giving him the strategy. Chapter 11. 11 is the number to, to, of doors, of open doors. There was a door that would have been open to a new realm of possibility. But the position and the posture they took was they decided to actually begin to complain. And it says, now when the people complained, it, it displeases the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them. Ouch. Got a barbecue in the wilderness. And consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. Here they go. The same guy they were complaining about, now they're crying out to. And he says, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. There you have a sequence 
of God speaking to the leader. The people complain against the leader. God judges that, rains down fire, kills them. They start, sh- they start shouting, oh, Jesus, there's a fire. <laughs> and then they, they, they ask Moses to pray. Then Moses prays, and what happens next? The fire stops. Be careful. You've been entrusted with some awesome leaders in this house. They are not telling me to say this. I'm saying this because I'd never been in a house that, that had so much humility. These people have reduced themselves down to, God, what do you want from me? If there's anything that bothers me is when I walk into the house and all you see is egos, big egos. You see people grab the mic and it's all about them. I was recently at a church where, I'm not going to say where I was at. It wasn't in this country. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But the Lord said, I sent you as an ego to snatch up the egos. And I gave a, I gave a word to a, a local pastor who's like a, an apostle over some pastors in the region. But when the woman got up there to go minister, the pastor, they brought out a microphone like this that was, that was like covered in rhinestones. I, I can't even make this stuff up. I can't make it up. It was covered in rhinestones, and it was just all about, like, the, the show of it. And I said, God, where's your presence? I said, God, where's your presence? We've reduced your presence down to a sideshow. People are coming who are hurting. People who are coming who need to be delivered. And what they're seeing is someone up there like a celebrity with a rhinestone microphone. It wrecked me. And I didn't judge. I decided to pray. And I was with a fellow prophet. And I said to him, I said, we got to do something. And he got up there and he began to share. And he would eventually share something that really just wrecked this person. And there she sat in the front row and just began to weep. And I said, God, you're so faithful. You're answering our prayers. Because I don't ever want to be in a church preaching where God wouldn't want to, where God wouldn't be welcome. I don't want to, I don't want to go to a church where there's a bunch of Ferraris outside. I don't want to go to a church where, you know, there's like the million dollar, like, you know, all the million. I mean, I'm not saying you can't be prosperous and rich. I desire to be that. Why? Because I want to be able to do kingdom work at another level than what I'm doing right now. But if we're doing all that at the expense of presence, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And I'm grateful to be in a house today that is the complete polar opposite of that. Assassin number four is the spirit of entitlement. The Bible says in 2 Samuel, it says, and it happened in the spring of the year. Listen to what it says. At the time where kings go out to battle. Say kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rebbe. But David remained at Jerusalem. Why is David remaining at Jerusalem? If it's the spring when all the kings go out to battle. 
Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked out onto his roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent an inquirer about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and, she, and he laid with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity and returned back to her house. A lot of people see this scripture, and they say, why was Bathsheba out there like that? They want to know, why is it that Bathsheba would be taking a bath outside? Well, when I studied this, what I found out was that the way that the houses were constructed back in those times was that it was almost like a square, Apostle. And then right in the center of that square, it was outdoors. There was no roof. And that's where they were actually bathed with buckets and stuff. So if you were standing at the front door of that house, you couldn't see Bathsheba. But Scripture tells us that he stepped out onto the roof of the king's house. It's a picture of when someone gets promotion. They get promoted, but all of a sudden they look at things on the earth a different way. They feel entitled. That's someone else's wife, but because he had a position of authority and power, whatever he desired, he decided he was going to go ahead and apprehend. We have to be careful that when we get promotions that we demonstrate humility. Because if we're not careful, we get promotions. And the Lord is like, I want to promote you. And the enemy's like, yeah, promote him. And then the enemy is constantly coming back, not with nothing new because he doesn't have the power to create. What he comes back with is the same old stuff and a different version of it. He represents it and represents it and represents it. It's the same thing. But nothing would destroy a church harder than a leader who gets all the way up here and thinks that they got a big ego and all of a sudden they fall to temptation. And the reason why the enemy does that is because if someone just gets saved and they stumble the following weekend, that doesn't have an impact on anybody else. But if a leader comes in here and is running a small group, is the armor bearer to the apostle, is traveling with him, is on missions, is doing different types of things, now all of a sudden that same leader, when they fall, it impacts all those people. The enemy is okay with you getting a promotion. He's just going to work harder to get you when you get up there. New levels, new devils. But with new levels come a new grace. But if you're busy looking at earthly things, you will never see the heavenly things that God is entrusting to you. And some of it, listen to me, some of it is actually strategy to overcome the enemy's hand. Because oftentimes he's overplaying it anyway. Entitlement is a deservedness. It's dangerous because it comes in very subtle. This is what it sounds like. Why am I still single? Why do I have so many kids, but yet I don't have a higher paying job? Why can't I have my own ministry? Oh, I knew he was getting ordained, but how come I didn't get ordained? That's entitlement. That is not of God. Trust me that if you've been faithful or if you're being faithful where you are, God would promote you in due season. And I want to say this really quickly. 
I want to say this really, really quickly. When you, when you are waiting for your promotion, chances are you're not going to get it. Because the reason why is you shouldn't be waiting, you should be preparing. While you are waiting for your wife, I'm going to tell you right now, God's not going to bring a wife because you're in the same place you were last year at this time. There's a difference between waiting and preparing. I've had people tell me all the time, I've been waiting for three years. I said, you're going to wait three more years unless you start preparing. And I'm going to just run through this last one. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just saying I've, I've heard the heart of entitlement. And I'm telling you right now, all you have to do is just repent. Repent and return to rest because entitlement is a spirit of striving. It's like God doesn't want to do it for me. I'm going to have to do it on my own. You end up with the wrong chick. End up with the wrong dude. And then you over, you over, like, you, you over, like, you over invest. And then you end up feeling like you're never going to be able to get anything on your return. Because that wasn't who, who God had for you anyway. Is this okay, Apostle? Am, am I good? Okay. Just want to make sure I'm in order. Assassin number five is lack of discernment. And what I mean by that is, is anytime God is about to transition you closer to your destiny, there's always going to be doorways. There will always be doors that all of a sudden present themselves at the moment of transition. Pastor Isaac, you ever notice that? It's like the Lord's like calling you deeper and you, you take one step deeper and all of a sudden it goes from one door to five doors. And if you don't have discernment, you won't appropriate yourself right in that given season. So you approach the door, and then you see there's five of them, and you, this is the way, if you don't have discernment, this is what you see. Oh, I got options. If you don't stop playing, you're not that anointed. See, because Jesus is the door. I said Jesus is the door. Those doors are doors of distraction that have come to prevent you from achieving your destiny. Be careful with the doors of distraction. Do you know that distraction is actually a form of torture that used to happen in the medieval times? And it was a, a form of torture that was meant for dismemberment. What they would do is strap your, 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 your arms and your legs and your head to horses. The horses would be facing in five different directions, and they would beat the horses so they would run in different directions and rip you apart. Why do I say that like that? Because that's exactly what distractions do to the body of Christ. The body of Christ becomes dismembered when we have people who don't have discernment and they're going through doorways that are not of the Lord. All this to say that there is hope. All this to say that if you intentionally focus on Jesus, you will achieve every and anything that God has called you to. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, a beautiful scripture. I preached a whole message on this. I had a conference about two weeks ago, and I preached on this scripture, and I got in talking about the greater glory and the glory of God and all that. That's not what I'm doing here, but I did want to reference the scripture for a reason. Is that up? Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. It says, nevertheless, say nevertheless. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now watch this. But we all, say it, with unveiled faces, beholding as a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. Do you know that with a mirror, you need to be able to, like the, the, the mirror needs to be able to see you in order for it to reflect you. So in other words, if this is the mirror, and I'm not going to look up there because it's going to blind me. My head feels like a potato right now getting roasted. <laughs> but if this is a mirror and that's Jesus, the light, do you see the light radiating on my face? No, no, don't, don't mess with the lights. Leave them up. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Do you see the light radiating on my face? That's what the scripture's saying. He's saying, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, Moses used to have a veil over his face. He would go in and see the the glory of God, his face would shun, and then when his face started to fade, he would put a, a veil over Moses is talking about a different glory. He's talking about a glory that's ever increasing and has no end just as the kingdom of God and its government. But here's what he's saying. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But he says, but we all, what we all with unveiled faces, meaning that there is nothing between us and God. There is no fig leaves. There's no fig tree. There are no excuses. There's no complaining. There's no entitlement. There's no sin, no evil, no deceit. And as we look into the face of God, that penal experience. Now when I'm standing here looking like that, you guys can catch the light off of my face, correct? That's what it should look like in your life every day. That we all with unveiled faces get to see the glory of God. It says, beholding as a mirror the glory of God. And then look at what it says. As we behold, we're transformed. You want to be transformed? Behold. What you behold is what you become. If you behold Oprah Winfrey, that's who you become. I once heard an author say, show me the five people you spend the most time with, and I'm going to show you who who you're going to be in five years. In other words, we we all are the sum of whoever we spend the most time with. Well, let it be known that I want to spend the most time with Jesus. And when people see me, they see a culmination of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And nothing less. Even if they see a bit of me, like, I'm okay with that. Why? Because I'm still a work in progress. But the beauty of this transformation, it says, is we are being transformed into the same image. But then it says, from glory to glory which means that it has no end. We continue to go from glory to glory. Who you are today is not who you'll be tomorrow as long as you're looking at Jesus. Because as long as you're looking at Jesus, he's doing a transformative work. And by this time next year, you're going to look 365 days more like Jesus. Amen? When you focus on Jesus, like Peter, you could do supernatural things. 
Peter locked eyes with Jesus, stepped out of the boat, and walked on water. Like Jacob, you get a renewed perspective. He went to sleep after he was running from his brother Esau. He laid his head upon a stone, an earthly thing. But then he had a dream, and in the dream, he said he saw the Lord standing. And when he saw the Lord standing, he said he saw angels descending and ascending up and down the ladder. And then he woke up from that dream, and he said, I'm going to name this place Bethel. Why? Because God is here. My question to you is this. What is it that happened from the moment that he went to sleep where he was worried and on the run that he woke up in the same exact spot and decided that this is where God was? It was because he had an encounter with the living God. He saw Jesus standing at the top of the ladder. In other words, he beheld him. And in the beholding, his perspective was transformed. So even though he was on a run from his brother, he took a nap. And when he woke up, he was still in a place. The situation did not change. But yet his perspective changed. And he said, God is surely in this place. What about Stephen suffering persecution? He looks up and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. While he's being stoned, while he's being persecuted, like the worst persecution you could ever receive, he, he's looking at Jesus, and because Jesus is a forgiver, he says, Jesus, he says, like, God, forgive them. Forgive those that are actually killing him. He's in the murder, he's like in the middle of being murdered. And he's asking God to forgive them. He's asking God to forgive those who are his enemies. When you behold Jesus, you become like him. It's a lot more easier for you to forgive. Some of you got some people in here that you need to go forgive tonight. Like Paul, one who mocked and persecuted Christians. All of a sudden, he has an encounter with Jesus. He has this dramatic transformation. God allows him to behold him. Boom like a light, and then he's blind for three days. Do you think he couldn't see for three days? I believe that when he flashed in front of him, what he showed him was his life. Remember, Jesus lives in eternity. He goes blind. He can't see with his natural eyes, but in the spirit, as God was enlightening the eyes of his heart, I believe that he began to ponder everything that he did. And for three days, he meditated on this man named Jesus who would encounter him and ask him, why do you sin against me? And then he sends him somewhere. He brings someone to pray for him and the scales fall off. And then he believes. There are people right now who are making fun of you who will be serving right next to you. Like Moses, who was a murderer, one who was imperfect in speech, but yet God would use him to deliver his people. When we, when we become Jesus, we become like him. This is the strategy, people, to sustain momentum. It's the beholding of Jesus that allows him to transform us and we go from glory to glory. You don't have to worry about being fearful, entitled, being comfortable. You don't have to worry about those things. We're going to wrap it up right here because if not, we'll be here late. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to just stand on your feet. And if the worship team can come. Yeah. There was a song you guys were singing that kind of was along these lines. I can't remember which one it was. But I think it might have been. What song was that you were singing? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can go right into that. And um, 
Yeah. Isn't God good? He brought me all the way from Philadelphia just to, to love on you guys, to encourage you guys. I'm not here to reprimand anyone. My heart is for people. I not only see what God is doing in this house, but I see what God is doing in your lives. I see what God wants to do to you, through you, and for you. But you have to decide if you're going to give him access. Even though he's ridiculously in charge, he doesn't desire to control you. You have to desire to be transformed. And so here's what I want to do. If this word ministered to you and you're in this house and you don't know Jesus, you came into a church just like I did 10 years ago. I walked in, knew nothing about God. And someone's telling me, Jesus loves you. And I'm like, who is this dude? I had another guy tell me, I'm in love with the man. And I'm like, that's weird. And he was like, and his name was Jesus. Yeah, I know what that love is like. I'm in love with him too. He's beautiful. He's the king of glory. And he's in this place right now. And so you're, you're in this place tonight. Maybe you, you serve God and you're backslidden. Maybe you're like, who is this dude? Why is he here? Yeah, Jesus sent me all the way over here from Philadelphia for you. To give you a message of hope. To let you know that through the spirit of God, all things are possible. He doesn't just want to teach you his ways. He wants to teach you his will. He wants to teach you your worth. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.